What does it mean to have a balanced Christian life? Well, that's what our subject matter is today on the Better Bible Reading Podcast. This is Kevin Morris. Welcome to the show. Hey friends, welcome to episode number 76 of the Better Bible Reading Podcast. As I said, Kevin Moore is here with you for another episode. Glad to have you tuning in, both on our normal podcast feed on iTunes or Google or wherever it is that you listen, as well as, those of you watching, YouTube. And I mentioned this last week, mentioning it again this week, in case you missed last week's episode. You can now find these podcast recordings on YouTube if you prefer, prefer the video format. You can go to Better Bible Reading. You can find that channel on YouTube. If you want to, subscribe. That'll just help get the word spread out and get the show uh, kind of building in momentum. Uh, but in any case, we're going to jump right into things today talking about the balanced Christian life. Now, it's been my experience with a lot of conversations with people that we often think about the Christian life in one extreme or another. We think about it sometimes in the extreme of it's all about God's love. It's all about resting in the Lord, it's no longer about works, it's not about commands, it's just about relationship. You normally hear this kind of uh, rendered down to the phrase, Christianity is about relationship, not religion, or you know something to that degree. But then you have the other extreme, which is really a form of legalism. It's this idea that God is more pleased with us or loves us more when we do better. And uh, it's normally described in this terrifying life where it's all about obedience. It's about giving a 100% effort all the time and anything less than that God's not pleased with. So in other words, it's performance-based. It's works-based. And of course, both of these are uh, wrong angles of getting at Christianity. They're, they're just distortions of Christianity altogether. So we don't want to do either of those. We want to have uh, the right kind of balance uh, that's not legalism, but it's also not antinomianism, which is just to say anti-law, so lawlessness, right? Uh, so we don't, want, we don't want to do either of those. And how does the Bible teach us this balance? How do we maintain that fine line not too far on one side or the other? And that doesn't mean that sometimes we're okay with sinning. It also doesn't mean sometimes we're okay with obedience and command-keeping. That's not the kind of balance I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is having the right lens, the right mindset of an approach to Christianity that is, well, first of all, biblical, but second of all, the right concept of what it means to rest in the Lord when Jesus says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, right? Resting in him, but also doing justice to the fact that Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so there's this obedience element to Christianity as well. Where could we go to really find this described to us uh, in, a, in a good way, a helpful way? Well, I think one of the places that we can go is in the book of Second Peter. 
I love this book. Most people spend more time in First Peter than Second Peter. And just a side note, it's really interesting to look at the similarities that you find in Second Peter and the book of Jude. Both of these letters are really short. Jude is, of course, way shorter than Second Peter, but still, once you get to Second Peter 2 in particular, you see a whole lot of interaction and similar language between that and the book of Jude. But anyways, that's just a side note. Um, I want to spend time looking at a passage in the very first chapter. And this, uh, if you have an ESV Bible, it entitles this section with the heading, Confirm Your Calling and Election. Confirming the fact that you've been called by God, you've been chosen, you've been elected by God. You are a Christian, in other words. You've been chosen for salvation. You have experienced that salvation. You continue to experience the saving reality of Jesus Christ in your life. And Peter describes this Christian life, describes this calling and election uh, that is ours. Here's what he says. I'm going to read uh, basically the whole passage, and I want to focus in on just a couple verses. It says, starting in verse number three, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a glorious passage. I love reading that passage. It's such a great introduction to this letter because it's going to be followed with a whole lot of warnings. But what's so significant about this passage is that Peter teaches us that the Christian life is supposed to be a well-rounded, balanced Christian life. That means a few different things. First of all, it means that there's no single element of the Christian life that we're supposed to be investing more time in than the other. And I find this to be a... A terrible reality for many people who have that distorted view on one side or the other. Even if you don't have a distorted view of the difference between the Christian life as resting from our works and the Christian life as being all about works, there's another distortion that takes place. And that is the way that we understand the gifts that the Lord has given us, or we could say not spiritual gifts, but the fruits of the Spirit those that are spoken of explicitly by Paul in the book of Galatians. And I find that this whole thing is normally worded 
in some way or another that I'm not strong in this area, in the fruit of the Spirit. I don't have patience like I should. Or some people will say, well, I don't have the knowledge. I, I'm, I'm good at loving people. I'm good at displaying affection for my brothers and sisters in the faith, for demonstrating hospitality, but I don't have a knowledge of the Bible like I should. I'm not well informed in the things of God. And sometimes we just consider those particular things as the kind of Christian we are. I'm the knowledge type of Christian. I'm the good works type of Christian. I'm the hospitable type of Christian. And I want to tell you, that's the wrong way to view Christianity. In fact, that's an inaccurate representation of what it means to be a Christian. It's not the sense that when we're a Christian, we're really good at something, or really good at a couple things, and not good at a whole host of others. Or we're really good at most, but then when it comes to this or that, we just really fail, and we're not good at it, and that's left to somebody else in the body of Christ to take up our slack. Well, that's not exactly what Peter is saying here when it comes to having a balanced Christian life. Instead, what he's saying here is that to be a Christian means, if you want to at least put it in terms of performance, it means we're great at a few things and really good at all the rest. There's no such thing as a Christian accurately walking with the Lord and to be really bad at some of these elements of the Christian life. Now, that happens. It's certainly a reality for us, but it's not okay for us to stay there. It's not okay for us to just render that our weak qualities and move on to the rest of our good qualities or try to outdo the bad with the good. We get into this terrible performance-based Christianity that's, that's just not at all biblical. But notice what he says. The Christian life is kind of like a diet. I know there's all kinds of new ways of approaching eating food. People focus all on carbs or all on calories or they'll do the keto thing and, you know, all of that. So just excuse all of that for a little while and think about a food pyramid where you have all of your food groups. Now, some are more emphasized than others oftentimes, but to be a well-balanced person in your diet, you need to be hitting all of your food groups. And if you get too heavy on one, you need to supplement that with a different one. Well, think about that in terms of our growing, in terms of our maturity, just like the human body, growing and maturing, being nourished, receiving all the nutrients needed. Think about that in what Peter is saying here especially in verse number five. Make every effort to do what? Supplement your faith with virtue. That's interesting. And then supplement that, your virtue, with knowledge. Supplement that with self-control. And that with steadfastness. And then godliness, brotherly affection, love. And then he says this. If these qualities are yours, okay, let's stop right there. 
Now, we could say to be a Christian at least means that we have all these qualities. Whether they're strong or weak, we at least have them. That's what it means to be a new creation, to be walking with God, to have the Spirit of God in us. But then he says this, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say this, which is pretty terrifying. For whoever lacks these qualities, notice he says that collectively, having all of them, increasing in all of them, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, this is so important for us to understand because the right view of the Christian life means that it's not enough for us to just have these qualities. Now, that's a big enough order in and of itself that we should be possessing all of the things that he said, faith, knowledge, self-control, godliness, love, All of these should be ours, but they should also all be increasing. And sure, the Lord does gift us with particular qualities. I'm thinking of those who are called to preach and teach. Necessarily in that means the articulation of right doctrine, right biblical doctrine. Which means, of course, that you're going to have somewhat of a premium on knowledge. But it's not enough to just have that. It's also not enough for somebody who's not a preacher or a teacher to just assume that knowledge is not one of those things that I need to focus on because that's not where my gifts lie. Well, that's just not true at all. Instead, as we look at our Christian life and notice a growth in one, it doesn't mean we abandon that. It doesn't mean it's wrong for us to be particularly strong in one area, but it means we should be supplementing that with these other qualities. Now, I want to say something about this that is so key to doing this. Doing this does not happen in isolation. Isolation makes us selfish. Isolation makes us self-centered, egotistical, and easily offended. Because when you're isolated, it's all about you. And then when you're exposed to, well, reality, the world where it's not all about us, we get particularly offended very quickly because it's a new paradigm. Well, that's why God has called us not to be just individual Christians, but he has called us to belong to a body, to the body of Christ. There's a corporate element there. There's a horizontal emphasis there where it's not just me and God and nothing else, but it's also all the rest of the people in the world that the Lord has saved, that he's called to himself, that he has made a part of his body. And so that means this is all about fellowship. This is all about community with other believers. Think about how important it is for us to belong to a church family when the emphasis is placed on this corporate element of Christianity. Now, how do I know that it's placed on this? Well, how else are you going to grow in an area where you are weak unless you are around and exposed to others who are strong in those areas? We could actually flip that the other way. 
How are others who are weak in a particular area going to grow if you, who are strong in that area, are not there alongside them to help them along their way? Now, that doesn't mean to micromanage. That doesn't mean to look down on them because they're not up to your level, but it actually means to exemplify these spiritual fruits. That means there's going to be a level of godliness, a level of love and charity towards your brother and sister as you demonstrate an area that you're strong in, and it's going to affect them in a very good way. There's this interplay between how we are strong in an area and weak in another, and then somebody else in the body of Christ is strong where we are weak, and weak where we are strong, and we're able to grow up together. That's why I think it's so helpful that the Bible demonstrates to us that the Christian fellowship is a body. Because it's all connected together, we all stand or fall together, and the body is a really important kind of mental picture of what it means when something is weak for the rest of the body to take up the slack, not for a long term, but for a goal of healing and growing back up to full health. Think about how your body function changes if your arm is broken or something like that. Well, your body makes adjustments not only in your brain of how you conduct yourself throughout the day, but also where you put your weight at, how you use one arm because the other one's broken. But that's to help that arm heal. That's to relieve that arm from the responsibility that it normally has, and so it can grow back up to full health. So as we are connected together... We focus on that weak area, and that weak area grows, and as it grows, it's strengthened, and you have this beautiful picture of what it means to grow together as a body of believers. That is key to this whole idea, because if we have what is typical in American culture, what's typical probably in a whole lot of other countries as well— What's typical for us to consider in Christianity is this individualistic approach to Christianity. Church membership is thrown aside as no longer an important thing. Most churches have so many programs that it's almost rare for all members to be together in one room because there's automatically a segregation that happens as soon as families walk through the door. You have a men's study, you have a woman's study. You have the youth group, you have the children's church, you have the nursery. And then, maybe, in the normal church service, when all those things are done, maybe you have the spouses together, maybe you have the older children in there, but most of the time, everybody is segregated. So everybody has their you-do-you, I-do-me approach to Christianity, even when it's supposed to be a corporate fellowship of everyone together. And... What, that ha- what happens there is that growth, spiritual growth, maturity, is viewed as your task for you. You worry about you. I'll worry about me. And you can see the fruit of this, can't you? And it's not good fruit, by the way. It's bad fruit. You can see the fruit of this whenever approaches to accountability are actually um, emphasized somewhere people quickly get offended, or it's, again, it's that paradigm shift because 
it's something that people are so unused to that it seems like it's an attack on them. And to be fair, sometimes it is. Sometimes accountability and growing together, doing life together, as many churches like to say, doesn't happen very well because it's not executed well. But even when it is, sometimes people just get easily offended because they're used to Christianity being their own life in a vacuum, their own view of God in a vacuum. And I hate to tell you this, but that's just not how the Bible presents itself to us. Yes, there's no such thing as me being saved, and that automatically means the rest of my family is saved. Yes, it means that when I do something wrong, that is me that sinned. It's not my wife that sinned or something like that. But at the same time, when we approach Christianity in this individualistic way, we really remove ourselves far from the way the Bible depicts Christianity as a whole, because, again, it is a body of believers. The corporate element is so key. That's certainly not to take away from the individual element, okay? Don't mishear me. But I'm just making the the point that we are so heavily leaning on that individual I and me Christianity that any time we come to a passage such as this in Second Peter, talking about supplementing our faith and growing, that we automatically assume that that's our marching orders to do and take care of all by ourselves, and that's just not how it works, friends. That's not how God has designed us to grow. You think about the ways that God has given us a special means of grace, is what we like to say in uh, Presbyterian circles. The means of grace God has given us as his people on this earth for us to grow and be strengthened and be kept by him is his word, the reading and especially the preaching of it, prayer, and participating in the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Now that necessarily includes a corporate consideration. Yes, we are always to pray individually. Yes, we are to read God's Word individually on our own. That's a wonderful gift that God has given us. We live now um, in the aftermath of the Protestant Reformation, and so much of that was really a campaign to see that everybody has access to God's Word, to see it translated into various languages And so that's a wonderful gift. Of course, me here on Better Bible Reading Podcast, I'm all about you reading the Bible individually. But that's not to take away from the fact that to hear God's Word preached, to participate in corporate prayer, to participate in the sacraments, the very things that grow us, the very things that sanctify us, the very things that help us, are placed in a context primarily of corporate, of more than one person, of multiple people coming together and to be exposed to one another. I hope you see that as good news. I hope you don't see that as as terrifying. And I've said this several times on the podcast. If If your overall outlook on your church fellowship is a groan and a sigh of despair, 
you just need to find another church. And that may say a lot about you. That may say a lot about the fact that you're selfish and, and self-centered and easily offended. But it also may say a lot about the fact that you're not part of a fellowship that is actually emphasizing the things that church is supposed to be. Church is not supposed to be overly programmatic. Church is not supposed to be the latest and greatest technological innovation. It's not supposed to be a concert. It's not supposed to be a pep rally. It's supposed to be our time to draw near to the Lord and actually grow, actually be kept in the faith by Him and by our fellowship with others who are also believers. If that's not your experience, please, please, for your own health, for your own spiritual growth, for the good of your family, find somewhere where that is the emphasis. So Peter tells us that well-rounded Christianity is one that implies fellowship with other believers. It's also one that explicitly calls for us to not settle for being bad in this area while being good in this area. Again, that might be the case for us, but when we read this and read that the criteria for us as we live as Christians is that we have these qualities and that they're increasing in us. If that's the criteria, that means that we're not allowed to settle for anything less than. Now notice what he says here. This isn't about works in and of themselves, okay? This isn't about obedience, works-based Christianity, legalism. Because he's not just telling us to do better. He's telling us that if we don't have these qualities, if we are ineffective in these qualities, it means that we are nearsighted and we have forgotten that he has cleansed us from former sins. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that we're practicing sin. Now, think about it. Not having these doesn't put us in a neutral state. Not having these means that we're actually participating in the works of the flesh. To go back again to the book of Galatians, where Paul distinguishes between the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. You can't be doing one while also doing the other, because they're polar opposites. But to not be doing one automatically means you're doing the other. Okay? There's no neutral ground here. There's no, there's no middle where we're not quite doing one but not quite doing the other. We're either active in one or active in the other. And that's what he's saying here. If we don't have these, we're evidently participating in those former sins that we've already been cleansed from, and that's not okay, according to Peter. He says... We're supposed to be supplementing faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, etc., etc. Now, to not have those qualities means that we're not walking by faith, so we're being faithless. We're not exhibiting virtue. Okay, so I always like to, to think of whenever the Bible mentions virtue, I always like to go to that picture that we see of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. Now, what's the opposite of a virtuous woman? 
or as a promiscuous woman, right? In fact, the book of Proverbs regularly makes a contrast between a woman who is chaste and who is pure versus a woman who is a prostitute. Okay, so think about the kind of sexual promiscuity and now kind of put that into every aspect of your life. You're not well-guarded. You're not pure. You're not walking in a level of quietness and temperament. Instead, you're everything that virtue is not. So if we're not practicing virtue, we're doing the opposite. Move to knowledge. If we're not practicing knowledge, we're being ignorant. If we're not practicing self-control, then we're giving in to any and every temptation. If we're not practicing steadfastness, then we have no consistency in our life. Godliness, of course, the opposite is ungodliness. That's pretty plain and simple there. Again and again, we could go. That, that is telling us, Peter is telling us here, that well-rounded Christianity is Christianity because anything other than well-rounded Christianity and a well-balanced approach to the Christian life is actually to be participating in all of those sins which we've been cleansed from. All of those sins that God has rescued us from. Now, God rescues us from those sins, not just by rescuing us from the punishment of them, but from the practice of them, from the holding on to of them. So God frees us from those things. Yes, we're still going to fall short. Yes, we're still going to sin. But there's a difference between that and sinning as a practice and sinning as a way of life. One means that we're still in need of God's continued help, which he promises to give. The other means that we're not saved. The other means that we're still in bondage. So this is why Peter uses such a strong uh, level of language when we move to verse 10, when he says, you use this as your litmus test to confirm your calling and election. How do we know that we've been chosen by God? How do we know that we've been saved? How do we know that we've been called out from this world to belong to God? How do we know that we've been rescued from darkness into light? It's if we have these qualities and they're increasing. Why is that? Because it's these very qualities that demonstrate that we've been freed from the bondage of sin. Well-rounded Christianity is not all about performance, but it's also not all about being inactive. It's about being active in the thing God has freed us to, and the only way that we're active in them is if we're walking in His Spirit. Well, that wraps things up for this episode of the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to get more details from the content that I'm putting out, please feel free to go over to betterbiblereading.com. You can find the previous episodes of this podcast as well as other uh, bits of information that you may find uh, incredibly helpful to you in your Christian life. And as always... I appreciate any feedback that you want to leave. You can do that on the website. You can also do it by leaving a review on iTunes. And when you do that, you just make this show that much more accessible in the search engine over there. 
And again, if you want to subscribe to the new YouTube channel, feel free to do that as well. I'd be incredibly grateful. Uh, feel free to talking uh, to me on any of those places, and I'll be very excited to uh, have some conversation with you there as well. Take care. Have a great rest of your week.